Hello, and welcome to another podcast of Risen Fellowship. I'm really excited that you decided to uh, click on this today and listen to it. We've been studying the 12. It's not the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. It's not the 12 disciples, but it's the 12 minor prophets is what we've been going through. Now, they're minor prophets, not that they're considered less important than Isaiah, Ezekiel, or Jeremiah, or Daniel. It's, their messages are just important to God's uh, program of prophecy. Bible students call them the minor prophets because of the brevity of their writings. Although Zechariah, when we get to him, is by no means brief or simple to understand. And these minor prophets are not just to be able to read for history. It's not just for Old Testament people, but the minor prophets for each and every one of us today, because they call each one of us to repentance of our sins, to also for obedience to follow and obey God's word, and to hope for a promise of the future. Now, we've already seen Hosea, the first one, and his message grew out of a personal uh, heartbreak in his own family. The second prophet is Joel, and we saw his ministry grow out of a national calamity. It was an invasion of a plague of locusts. Joel saw the immediate judgment of God by the physical locusts that would eat the crops and all the uh, vegetation of everything on the earth which led to an ultimate judgment, and that is the coming day of the Lord. Amos is the third one. He was a sheep herder from Judah, but God called him to go to the northern kingdom, that of Israel, and prophesy against them. Obadiah was the fourth prophet that we looked at, and that's in the succession of the way they are in the Old Testament. And he proclaimed two messages. He proclaimed about a vengeance on Esau. Uh, his uh, kingdom was the kingdom of the Edomites, and God's victory for Jacob. God was going to judge uh, Edom and he was going to bring victory for Judah. Then we saw Jonah, which ranks as one of the most known stories of all the Bible. But Jonah is an actual person. He's not just a fable or a fairy tale. He's an actual person who lived. And if you don't know the story about Jonah, then listen to the previous podcast and you can learn all about that. So that brings us to the sixth of the 12 minor prophets, and that's Micah. Let me read verse one to you as we begin this. Micah says the word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, although Micah is going to mention about the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel, which capital is Samaria, his main focus is on Judah, the southern kingdom, and its capital, Jerusalem. Now, Jotham was the first king that he mentioned, and Jotham is noted for being a very good king, but he failed to remove the high places of pagan worship throughout the land, and the people continued to sacrifice to pagan and foreign gods. Now, his son Ahaz uh, succeeded him, and he's known as an evil king. Uh, matter of fact, he not only didn't remove the high places, and he even made more images of Baal that he continued to worship, even to the point where he was offering and sacrificing his own sons to foreign gods. And during his reign, some of the people of Judah were taken captive by the king of Aram. And Assyria was growing in power during that time. And the king of Aram and the king of uh, Israel had joined together to try to offset some of this power that Assyria was getting. They asked uh, Ahaz, the king of Judah, to join him in this coalition, but he refused, choosing to rather turn to the king of Assyria, tiglath pileser III, and... Uh, he paid tribute to them, uh, actually taking out this the temple treasuries to be able to uh, try to get his favor. 
And he also imported a pagan altar from the city of Damascus where the king of Assyria lived. And he set that up in the temple of God. So in contrast now, following Ahaz, who was the evil king, we have Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is basically one of the best kings to ever uh, reign in Judah. And he was anti-Assyrian. So he withstood the attacks of another king of Assyria named Sennacherib. And he was seeking God in prayer. And he received a miraculous deliverance and judgment against the Assyrian army. Great story to read if you want to look it up in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. And although Judah was spared from the Assyrian threat of invasion, the Babylonian threat was growing ever so strong during that time. Now also Isaiah, one of the major prophets, also lists some of these same kings and the ones that he served to, making Micah a contemporary of his. But now let's look real briefly at the content of Micah's prophecy. You see that it's divided into seven chapters in a Bible, and these have contained three sermons. And each sermon begins with the word here. We see that in chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 1, and then also chapter 6, verse 1. So the first message, the first sermon that Micah delivers is about judgment is coming, and that's in chapter 1 and 2. And during this time, Micah lists 12 cities and their sins, beginning with, well, as we already read in verse 1, Samaria and Jerusalem. We know that the Word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And you could almost choose any 12 cities in the United States of America today, and you would find these same sins that are listed of what's going to bring this judgment that Micah is talking about. The first sin that he mentions is idolatry. People were worshiping the work of their own hands. And today, we certainly live uh, for the things that we can manufacture by the works of our hands, our cars, our clothes, our homes, and even the money that we make. And we serve and sacrifice for the thing that we worship. And any of those things can be idols. The second sin that he lists is leading to covetousness. People would lie awake at night thinking up new ways to be able to get more things. And then they would even get up early in the morning from their bed so they could begin to pursue those dreams. We must beware of the insatiable appetite for gathering and collecting more and more things. Jesus even talked about in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 15, when He says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. And just like the Israelites, we often, in our insatiable appetite to get more things, often turn to illegal means to be able to get what we want. We fraud people. Uh, we threaten people. We'll even use violence from time to time. And if we're not doing those things, we'll begin to take advantage of those who are poorer than us. And, and even worse than that, we begin disobeying and having a complete disregard for obeying the Word of God. The, day, the people in Micah's day didn't want to hear the awful message of judgment that was coming. When Micah saw them, he wept and he mourned because God's people turned a deaf ear to God's Word, seeking only to be able to hear what would please them instead. So that's the first message, is that judgment is coming. The second message, the second sermon that Micah delivers is chapter 3 through 5, and it's about the Deliverer is coming. Chapter 3, Micah condemns the wicked leaders of Judah, of the land, the rulers and the false prophets and priests. 
They were all, you know, working together to devour the people rather than help and assist them. The prophets were preaching only what the people wanted to hear. All is well and nothing is going to happen to us. We are God's chosen people. But God had told Micah that the Assyrians would take down Samaria, the northern kingdom. And he also showed Michael, uh, Micah that the uh, Babylonians would come in and eventually carry Judah away into captivity, uh, the southern kingdom. Chapter 4 takes us to a new theme, though, and it's a message of hope that one day there would be peace on earth and righteousness would reign again. And in chapter 5, Micah explains that it's the deliverer that's going to come and even mentions one more city in chapter 5, along with the 12 that he already mentioned in chapter 1. And that's the place called Bethlehem. And of course, you know that is the birthplace of Jesus Christ. And Micah chapter uh, 5, verse 2, is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 6, when Mary and Joseph make their way to Bethlehem for the census. And it's at the time that Jesus is born. And of course, when Jesus came, He came to His own and they rejected Him. But to those who received Him, to those, John tells us in the opening chapter, to those who received Him, He, the Son, gave them the right to become children of God. We're going to talk about that a little bit later as we conclude. So remember that, that Jesus came to make us children, that if we received Him, we would become children of God. By trusting Christ as Lord, and Savior, men and women can have peace that would reign in their hearts no matter what was going on in the world around them. Now, the last two chapters uh, are almost like a courtroom scene. And, and that's going to lead us to the final message that um, Micah preaches. And that is about trust the Lord today. That's chapter 6 and 7. And in this courtroom scene, God summons His people uh, to come before Him for a hearing. And he states his case. He says, so after all that I have done for you, I brought you out of the land of Egypt where for over 400 years you were slaves. I carried you through the wilderness, through the wanderings, and 40 years I provided everything you need. I protected you from all your enemies. I did all this to you. What more? Tell me, what more could I have done for you? Now the guilt of the people becomes evident as they begin to understand what God had been to them and how they had failed and they begin to ask what they could do to make up uh, to God. Could they start bringing sacrifices, the very best of the flocks? And if that wasn't good enough, they even suggested maybe giving their firstborn. I mean, this is something they had seen the Ahaz, the evil king do. So maybe that's in following what the leadership said. Maybe that's what God wants from us too, is to sacrifice our firstborn son. The problem with this is something that not only did they need to understand, but we need to recognize today. No amount of religion, no, how far, no matter how far you take it, will ever be able to save anyone. All God asks for us is recorded for us in chapter 6, verse 8. He says, do what is right to other people. Love being kind to others. And live humbly, trusting your God. You see, God doesn't want extravagant sacrifices or gifts. He simply wants our hearts. He calls the people in, in Micah's day and, and calls us today in the United States of, United States of America to repent because judgment is on the way. It was as sure as it was on the way for Israel. 
It's on the way for people who live today that are disregarding God's word. Chapter 7, Micah begins to mourn the fact that the nation is so wicked that he can't even find one honest man in the land. And even though he sees such dire circumstances going on, God promises that in the future he will restore the remnant of the nation of Israel in the future. But first, he says they're going to have to go through a time of tribulation. And the closing verses of this short book called Micah is a wonderful confession of faith. And that's the whole purpose of Micah's message is to get people to come back to their faith. Because Micah, as a prophet of God, knows that God is the only one who can forgive sin and show mercy and love to sinners. Listen to these last three verses of the prophecy of Micah. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Does he not? He does not retain his anger forever. He delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and He will subdue our iniquities. You will cast out our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Abraham and uh, truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. That's exactly why Christ came and He died on the cross. That sinners like you and me might be forgiven. And I ask you a very important question today. Have you trusted Christ to forgive your sins? That His death, His burial and resurrection paid the debt that you owed to God. But understand this too. Forgiveness of our sins is a simplified view of evangelism. The gospel is far, far deeper than that. Yes, Christ did die to pay our debt on the same. Matter of fact, his last words recorded from the cross was, it is finished, meaning the debt was paid in full. But our God is not just like an eternal banker waiting for some kind of just payment. You know, if a banker here somewhere uh, who had the mortgage on your home, if he were to forgive your debt, that would make you very happy and you'd be grateful. But if you never knew that banker, if you never got to uh, have him as a personal friend, that would soon wear off and, and you just go on about your way, living your life any the way you wanted to. But, but our God in heaven is much more than just an eternal banker. And Christ died for so much more than just the debt that we owed. You see, our sin had separated us from God. It had not only separated us from God, our sin had caused us to become enemies of God. And when Christ died on the cross, He did die for the forgiveness of our sins. John made that, the John the Baptist made that very clear in the Gospel of John when he pointed to him in chapter 1, verse 29, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But in taking away that sin, He not only paid our debt, He desires to restore that broken relationship between God and us. He desires to have fellowship with us, just like Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden before sin entered into the picture. And again, I go to the Gospel of John in chapter 14. Jesus was teaching His disciples those last moments that He had before He was going to be betrayed and arrested and offered up as the sacrifice for our sins. He taught them in chapter 14 that the one who loves Jesus, He's the one who has 
His commandments and keeps them. And He promised that He would manifest Himself to those people who have those commandments and to those who keep them. And then again in verse 24, He says, It is He who loves me and keeps my word that my Father will love Him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. You see, the broken relationship because of sin is restored into a right fellowship with God. Eternal life is more than just a long life. It's an abundant life. <clears throat> you see, when you realize the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, that He died in your place, but God raised Him from the dead, when you realize that, then He comes to you in your home here on earth and lives with you. But He's also preparing a place for you in heaven to where when your life on earth is over, you can go to live with Him for eternity in eternal fellowship. That's not just some pie-in-the-sky dream that's all for later. It's for right now. When you have His commandments and you keep them because of what Christ did for you on the cross, He comes and joins your life right now. It's not just for eternity. It's a part of that fellowship that begins right now. So I ask you again, have you trusted Jesus Christ? Not only to be forgiven of your sins, to be, but to be restored and reconciled. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 talks about this new creation that we become once we are in Christ. All the old things have passed away and everything has become new. And because we're these brand new creations, he said God did this so that we would have a ministry of reconciliation. That is, we would have people that are around us that we can reach and our testimony and, and the word that we share of Jesus Christ can be able to reach them because we not only have a ministry of reconciliation, but we have a message of reconciliation. And that message of reconciliation is basically verse 21 of chapter uh, 5 of 2 Corinthians where it tells us that God made Him who knew no sin, which is Jesus Christ, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And we do that, and when we're faithful to the ministry and the message of reconciliation that God has given to us as a new creation, you know what we are? We're ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of Him. And we're going to begin to plead, as verse 20 says in 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to begin to plead with everyone, be reconciled to God, begging and pleading with them to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of our broken relationship that we're no longer enemies of God because of our sin. As Jesus said to his disciples in that upper room discourse, he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And I hope and pray that you have made that move in your life to surrender and to submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. And when you do, he will definitely save you. But then you'll be able to begin that fellowship with him. And I want to close our podcast today with a blessing for you as I have the last few. And again, it's from a friend of mine named Wayne Kerr. You can look him up on iTunes or whatever your music source is. He has a lot of great music out there. But one of the songs that I first heard him sing when I first met him is called My Prayer for You. And I, that's, this is my blessing for you, that you may have joy like you've never known, peace and a happy home, time to be all alone. This is my prayer, my prayer for you. Hope 
for a better day. Love, because it's the only way. Grandkids, when you're old and gray, this is my prayer, my prayer for you. I pray that you would be able to step into the ocean at least twice a year. That the love of a child would whisper in your ear. That God would be the center of everything you do. This is my prayer, my prayer for you. That your sins are forgiven, erased, cast into the deepest sea, but that you are enjoying fellowship with Him right now here on earth because He's come to reside in you and He's preparing that place for you in heaven. May God bless you. I hope and pray that you have a great day and that you begin to let His light shine through you for the glory of that wonderful and fabulous name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Twice a year, let the love of a child whisper into your ear. Let God be the center of everything you might do. This is my prayer, this is my prayer for you. Cause you can have joy like you never know. my prayer.